This podcast episode is brought to you by Your Wellbeing Promotion, a six-month program with Alicia Leadham to overcome the overwhelm of jumpstarting your wellness journey. This program is for professionals who want to either recover from or prevent burnout with a customized well-being plan and ongoing support. It's also for leaders or coaches who want to learn how to embody well-being themselves so that they can coach and lead others to improve their well-being using the content and the techniques that they learn from this program. For working parents who have a lot on their plate and are feeling tired of being stuck personally and professionally and are seeking clarity and peace of mind. And finally, people who want to become more self-aware and learn the tools to handle stress better so that they can stop surviving and truly begin to thrive. This is a program that you are not going to want to miss. We are currently enrolling right now at a very low price. Head on over to alishaleadum.com. That's A-L-I-S-H-A-L-E-Y-T-E-M dot com to learn more and enroll in the six-month program with Alicia. By the end of the program, you will have improved your sleep, your diet, your exercise, your relationship with nature, and your mental, spiritual, and emotional health. You'll master the skill of knowing how to relax and regulate your nervous system. You'll improve your mindfulness skills and become a person who is both calm and successful. This includes coaching, a course on the six gold keys to well-being coaching models, and a community aspect. So head to alishaleadum.com to learn more and enroll today. You can get started right away. And now back to the show. Welcome to Unlock Your Wellbeing, the podcast that teaches you the simple keys to health and happiness so that you can grow as a human being into a well-being. And now here's your host, author, certified wellness coach, mother and wife, Alicia Leadham. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Alicia. And today we have a special guest who uh, is also a podcast host, which I'm really excited because we were just talking (laughs) before getting on this podcast. recording that we've never had a fellow podcast host on our show. So she gets to be a guest today. Um, And we are going to be diving into a lot of good content for you. So make sure you stick around because we're releasing this right before the holidays begin so that you can take some tips and advice to really help you learn how to turn off during the holiday season so that you can come back afterwards or you know if you listen to this in the future a vacation so that you can come back and finally feel refreshed and don't have that feeling of I need a vacation from this vacation that I just took (laughs) which which so many people have Yes, we all know that feeling. So if we can avoid that, that would be really great. But I want to introduce to you my guest. Her name is Allie Murphy. She is the Director of Events and Program Development with Engage for Good. Um, And like I mentioned, she is also a podcast host. So the podcast uh, is called Engage for Good. It's the longest running podcast in the social impact space. They have 13 seasons and 400 episodes that's amazing. (laughs) And she has interviewed a lot of really cool leaders, people from Big Brother, Big Sister, Ulta, Beauty, Google, Walgreens, Save the Children, 
um, Whirlpool. You, you have some big names in there, which is really cool. So I'm really excited to talk to her today about her uh, own story in uh, her own journey in well-being as a leader and learning some really great tips and things from her. So welcome, Allie, to the show. Why, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. As you said, I'm a podcast host, so it's a little bit strange still to be on this side of the mic, but I'm also super excited to share with you and have a have a great conversation. Yes, I am too. So we were just chatting a little bit before uh, recording, like I mentioned, and she actually lives in a area that um, Michael and I had considered moving to at one point. So I feel like there's a little bit of a synchronistic uh, connection here, which is super cool. But Allie, tell us more about you. Tell us about your background. What are you currently doing? And uh, what's what's your what's your story? Oh my gosh, that's like four questions in one. All right, a little bit about me. Uh, well, I'm a podcast host. I'm a facilitator. I'm a third culture kid. I was born in London, grew up in Mexico City. I studied abroad in Mexico and Chile as a kid. And my husband and I spent a year and a half in Asia. So I've got a lot of international travel living abroad experience, which is kind of how this topic of vacation came up. Um, I'm really passionate about well-being and making work more human. And so I spent kind of the last years, nine years of my career figuring out, okay, how do we build cultures where people feel like they can show up as their authentic selves? And what does it mean to lead in a way where people can thrive personally and professionally? And I'm not saying I have this all figured out because I definitely don't, but I've been learning along the way. Um, and outside of work, I love to travel. I'm a big reader. I just finished my, I think my 33rd book of this year, which is a huge milestone for me. Um, I like to dance. I go to dance about three times a week. I love spending time with friends and family. And I also love spending quality time alone. I seem like an extrovert to a lot of people, but I actually need quite a bit of alone time right now. That tends to be reading a book in front of a Christmas tree, but that's what I need to kind of thrive and be my best self. Does that answer your question? Or at least yes. part of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which reminds me of, um, I love your passion for well-being and wanting to create cultures uh, that help you to become authentic and humanizing the workforce mm-hmm. because um, that is, that's the, the hot topic right now. And I think the pandemic has ushered in the need for us to make these changes uh, for real, right? Uh, yeah. Which you guys as listeners, you know, I talk about this with each and every episode and that's what we do at Alicia Lead and Wellness is helping people to do that. And so I'm, I'm just uh, grateful to have you on the show and, and giving us your uh, expertise. I know you're still figuring it out, but like your background mm-hmm. with it as someone who's in the trenches, right. Yeah. And your, and your experience. So um, we were talking a little bit before about what uh, your experience was at the turn of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And what was what was happening for you? We all have our pandemic story. So uh, what was yours specifically with work? Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so pandemic happens. I actually have the journal entry. I don't journal that often, but I have a journal entry of like what was going through my head the second day of lockdown. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. This is crazy. I love my husband, but like we talked about, I need my alone time. I was like, this is interesting. But work-wise, it was also completely up in the air. At first, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to have a job, not have a job, lose a paycheck. My husband works for himself. So he owns his own business. Didn't know what was going to happen with his revenue. 
long story short, my company restructured. There were a couple people that were let go. I wasn't one of them. I actually took on more responsibility. I went from a manager to a director and I was incredibly grateful that I still had a job, especially watching so many people and friends and family members not. And so it was this really interesting feeling of like, okay, I have a job. This is intimidating. There's a lot going on. I mean, we won't even go into like a whole pandemic. I'm sure all of your listeners have their own experiences. But what I found happening is that I said yes to everything. So I had this job. I was grateful but we were also doing everything new for the first time. So we run in-person conferences is one of the things that we do. We run two a year. We bring in about 600 people, usually 30-ish sponsors and then something like 65 speakers. They're three-day events in person. I had 20 years of experience doing that. All of a sudden that went virtual. And so everything had to be refigured out. How do we do this in a virtual environment? How do we figure out how to do this on Zoom? How do you still make it engaging? What are the tech pieces to make this happen? How do you market it? Every little question. And so I said yes to everything because I we were all in the kind of in the trenches together to use that vernacular. And I was grateful to have this job. The downside of that, and my husband can tell you this really well, is I didn't take a day off in two months. Doesn't mean I worked eight hours on Saturday and Sunday for two months straight, but I worked some part of every day for two months and I missed out on ski days and I missed out on dinner with family and friends and that quality time with my husband or alone time, outdoor adventures, whatever it is. And it was rough, if I'm being honest. It was really challenging. But the flip side of that is I never once really talked about this with my manager or with leadership. And they never really had an opportunity. I mean, there, we could have a whole different conversation about this, but there there wasn't this open communication from me to say, hey, I'm struggling or, hey, here's what I'm going through or, hey, I need a little bit of support with this. I didn't really do that, which meant that I created this silo for myself where I completely burnt out and it impacted my personal life. It impacted my relationship with my husband and it impacted my work too. And had I actually said something and been more forward and even just more open about what I was going through, that might've been a completely different case. So we made it through. We ran two great virtual events that we didn't even know how to do at the beginning of the pandemic. But I also made a commitment to myself. And I said, look, I'm not going to do this again. I did it once, but I think we each have a ton of agency and ability to make decisions to impact our own well-being. And that was an example of me doing it terribly. And so going forward, I've got a lot better boundaries and there are things I will do and I won't do. And I'm learning how to say no in different scenarios and problem solve better and resource for a team. And now that I've stepped into a bigger role and I have a team that reports to me, focusing on my well-being isn't just important for me because then it also shows, hey, team, you can do this too. Like actions speak louder than words. And so, yes, it's important for me, but I also think that as a leader, it is crucial to show that you're doing this as well and to create a space for your team to be able to do the same for themselves. Amazing. Okay. I have so much I want to say about that. Um, well, congrats on, on the promotion at the very beginning of it. Right. I think, yeah, that's exciting to exciting and nerve wracking, uh, everything that was happening at that time. And then you're getting, you know, great news. Uh, but it kind of came at a little bit of a cost because you're still trying to figure those things out um, throughout it, right? But I just, I'm so happy about what you said at the very end, which is 
being and taking care of yourself is um, leading by example, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing that you can do for your team. And that's actually how you start to change culture, right? And the leaders embodying and doing those things that they want to have their teams follow in their footsteps. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, you sharing your story with that is not only powerful, but now embodying it and doing it and leading it is even more powerful, right? Yes. I love that. Did you see the women in workplace report that came out from McKenzie? And I think it's lean in. I was reading parts of it. Which part are you going to? So one part, I mean, I, I read the entire thing top to bottom in one sitting and the amount of notes that I took are it's a little bit excessive. I got really excited. But one of the things is that having a manager who cares about somebody's well-being is one of the top three factors women in particular consider when they're deciding if they want to stay at an organization or join one. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Like some people have done a good job of tying well-being metrics to bottom line performance. Others haven't. But reports like this, and it was, oh, who was it? I think it's the CIA just hired a chief well-being officer. And the Department of Defense is hiring 2,000 people to support their workforce in this way. So this stuff isn't going away. I think it's only getting bigger. And I think that was kind of a a silver lining of the pandemic, if we can even call it that, of we got to take better care of our people. Mm-hmm. And whether you're an actual leader in your title or not, you can start to make a difference. Yes, exactly. And there's, um, I think Deloitte releases this uh, stat. They found that 61% of employees uh, will no longer stick around if mm-hmm. their uh, company doesn't start to um, do something about helping their their personal well-being in 10 years. And so uh, I was actually just talking about this earlier today with my husband who runs his company, uh, Catching Leadership, but it, it's going to take organizations about 10 years for these changes to really bloom and yeah. blossom, right? which is and- so long, but there's still <laughs> micro steps that we can take along the way that'll make yeah. progress. But that also makes, I think it can help us to feel safe enough to start making those changes because mm-hmm. change too quickly is too scary that, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in fear. I don't even want to go there. But if I know that I can start making, you know, seeds of, of these changes and know that they'll bloom and grow and blossom and, um, get to the place that we want it to in 10 years or, you know, before that, but at the very least 10 years, instead Mm -hmm. of waiting 10 years to actually start those changes. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you. There's that, that silver lining of, okay, at least, we are um, doing something about this this massive problem that has happened over the pandemic and uh, better better late than never, right? Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> so tell me more about how did you come to this realization that you could have spoken up and um, why do you think you felt like you couldn't say what you needed to? for your own well-being needs when you were working constantly those two months straight? Oh, boy. Um, Well, one, I'm a people pleaser, or I should say a recovering people pleaser. So I want people to be happy. I want people to like me. And in some cases, that's great. And in other cases, that can be a huge weakness. So I think there were a couple of things that went into it. One was I was fortunate. I had a job. I had a paycheck. Not everybody did. 
like our team was all doing a lot. I wasn't the only one that was working a lot. Everybody was. And so it felt like, well, we're all doing this. I have to do it too. And the sense of, I wanted everybody to, to like me. And I have a very high, what is the word I'm looking for? Kind of bar for personal excellence or what I expect from myself. And so if I had lowered that bar just a little bit, I still would have done great work, but I wouldn't have burnt out quite as much. And so those are kind of the components that went into it. I think what kept me from really speaking up was really me and not having the conversations with myself of like, why, what are the limiting beliefs here? And what can I get out of my way to really make progress? Because if I have this conversation, I'm going to feel better. And I will probably actually end up doing better work because I will feel better in this process and my well-being will be better taken care of. So part of this was a conversation with my better up coach who I've worked with for oof, a while now. And then conversations with my husband too, who was incredibly patient. And I was like, no, I can't talk about this or, oh, this is terrible. And sometimes it's, it's little things too, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to set an end to the workday. I'm going to stick to it. Or I'm going to focus on one thing at a time and I'm going to use a Pomodoro timer. And when that break timer is up, I like a, there's an app on my Mac called flow. It mm-hmm. takes over my whole screen. So even if I wanted to keep going, which is easier with a little timer on my phone, the fact that it takes over my whole screen helps a ton. And so doing these little things along the way, in addition to having some bigger conversations makes a huge difference, but sometimes it's easier to start with something smaller, like a timer then to kind of rip off the whole bandaid at once. Yeah, totally. Having a a tangible tool that you can Mm -hmm. use beyond the, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, take care of myself in the process. Well, what little step could you actually take to do that? And what does that actually look like in your day-to-day work life? So I love the example of ending your workday at a a time. Like this is when I finish because if Mm -hmm. you don't have that, it's so easy to keep going, especially when you're passionate about it and you are busting out good work. Right. Yeah. And then of course, coming back to the people pleaser, well, if I keep working (laughs) and this, everyone will love me even more. They love the work I'm doing. If I just do it more, they'll love me more. Yeah. But that's how you burn out. And then your work starts to suffer. But so yeah, those are a couple of pieces. And then the other one, as you were talking that I remembered is that's when I started walking again. So my husband and I put these times on our calendar. It was like, okay, at roughly 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. every day, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We're going to stop and we're going to take a 15-minute walk around the block. Mm -hmm. And that little tiny reset has an incredible impact on the rest of your day. Like not only are you stepping away from your computer, you're getting some sort of physical movement. And I get to spend some time outside. Like those are huge during the middle of the pandemic. And that has carried on. We don't always walk twice a day now but it's at least once a day, whether it's just at the mailbox or we've got a huge field behind our house and we will spend quite a bit of time traipsing around in that. I love it. Yep. I love it. Our listeners know that um, our third key and our sixth keys to well-being is a key Mm -hmm. movement. And so taking a break to walk not only helps you to manage your stress, but it works like a reset button uh, for your brain. So I love that. And doing it outside is even better because then you're activating the the key of nature, right? And there's so many benefits to going outside. Mm -hmm. And I know you post on LinkedIn about going out and uh, uh, being in nature, which I know you do up in the Pacific Northwest. We got a lot of beautiful places. And the mountain just opened. I had my first day up on the mountain last weekend and it was beautiful. I can't wait to get up there more. You mean like skiing? Yes. Okay. So when you say the mountain opens- Mountain opens. Yeah, that would mean ski season. Good clarifying (laughs) question. 
<laughs> yeah. What does this mean? The mountain opens. Okay, cool. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. So you ski and over preferring that over snowboarding? Yeah, I grew up skiing. I took the kind of after school ski programs, which is how I learned to ski. I've been on a snowboard, I think, three times in my life. And this was back in high school where I had a friend who snowboarded and she and I would like to, we would like to swap our gear every once in a while. So I would end up on her snowboard. She would end up on my skis. We do a couple laps, usually falling over most of the time, but you're a little bit less scared and a little more fearless when you're in high school and you're like, we're just going to try things. But no, I'm a skier now. Yeah. (laughs) In high school, you're invincible. (laughs) Yeah. Or when you're a little kid too. You got Mm -hmm. less, less distance to fall as a child than you do as an adult. Yeah. That's so true. The adrenaline rush is really fun and trying all the things for the first time, you Mm -hmm. know, in teenage years, but okay. Exciting. Love it. Um, so when you, when, when did you change then of being like finally speaking up and saying what you needed to, or did you ever actually voice your well-being needs that you needed, uh, and instead just started taking better care of yourself and setting better boundaries with work? What ended up, ended up happening for you? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember a defining moment where it was like, okay, we're just, we're win, we're going to do a 180. This hasn't worked. We're doing everything differently. I think instead it was these micro moments of starting with doing things differently that I could control because that seemed less scary than having a conversation. Now I'll have the conversation. I don't always love it, but it's a lot easier to start with a walk or I'm going to start my day with meditation or I'm going to end my workday at a specific time, whatever those pieces are, I'm going to get good sleep. I don't care what time it is right now. I'm going to get my eight hours and we're going to figure the rest of this out later. So that worked. And then I also started having more of these conversations of like, okay, I know this really needs to get done. It's not going to fit in. Here's how I'm prioritizing. Can you help me understand if I have this in the right order is kind of what I started to do. And that's a scary thing saying, especially for a recovering people pleaser to be like, yeah, I can't do that. Eek. Like the amount of goosebumps and like, oh, I don't want to do this that I felt was terrible. And I still get that sometimes. But it's about saying, okay, here's where we're at. Here's what's possible. How do we figure out how to make this work within the constraints or who do we figure out how to bring in? Um, And I recently read a book called, it's, uh, it's Closing the Confidence Gap. When I read on a Kindle, I forget the names of the titles because I just I'm looking at the actual words instead of the cover of the book. But it's Closing the Confidence Gap by Kelly Thompson. And she has these different pieces of saying no with kind of grace and compassion where you talk about I'm not going to get these quite right because I'm doing it off the fly. But you're basically saying, thanks so much for thinking of me as your first one or thanks for thinking that I could do this project. There's an expression of gratitude. And your second one is sharing your values and where it doesn't align or the bandwidth that you have and why it's not a fit for you or your team. And then your third, there's a fourth in there somewhere. So I'm missing one, but your third or fourth is about saying this won't fit, but I'd be happy to set up a time to brainstorm about X, or I would suggest Y person, or here's a different idea to get it done. So it's not just a no for a lot of people. A no can be a full sentence for me. It tends to come with a framework of like, Hey, here's why it doesn't work in better words. And then here's what we can do and how I can help you solve it instead. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I feel like that's a really good um, description of uh, boundaries and saying no with love, right? That's a great of way being, of putting it. Yeah. It's like a way of, of, okay, I know I need to say no, but how can I do this in a kind, compassionate way? Not that 
saying no as a full sentence necessarily isn't, but, um, you have it's to a different approach the way you say it. Yeah. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you feel good about that and you can express that in a way that you feel good about it, then you're more likely to follow through and, and do that, which you have. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I love that you said too, that I want to highlight is you notice that you still did just as good of work and it's not better boundaries. It's not better. Tell me about that. Cause I feel, I know a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of my clients that I work with are concerned that they're not going to be able to work. Um, their work won't be as high caliber if they're not putting in all these hours and their work will suffer if they start taking care of themselves more. How did that go for you? It's the opposite, which is fascinating because now I have this conversation with my team too. It's like, oh, I have these many hours and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And it's like, okay, if you look at the research, which I don't have in front of me, but we're, we're actually only productive out of our quote eight hour days for like two to four hours Mm -hmm. at best. The rest of the time we think we're being productive. The amount of time we spend on email is crazy. I have a, I use boomerang on my email, which is a Chrome plugin where I can actually pause it. So I can be in my inbox if I need to send a bunch of speaker emails or sponsor emails, for example, but I can pause it so I don't get distracted by stuff that's coming in. So when you take a step back and you say, okay, there's tools and technologies out here that are here to help us. Some of them get in our way. Some are actually helpful. And you start to figure out which ones work for you. Then you can be a whole lot better about creating boundaries, even just with technology to say, I'm only going to look at email for an hour right now. And then I'm going to stop. And I might come back to it later, but I'm going to do it for an hour. And so I think a lot of it comes down to how do you set up yourself for success? And for me, I found that when I started having much stricter boundaries with even what we'll call them work habits of, okay, here's an hour for email, or I'm going to give myself started time blocking. So I would group and I would task batch of, I'm going to put all of the like things together. And I time blocked them on my calendar. Like I have an hour to do speaker things or got an hour and a half to build out a marketing campaign. And forcing myself to stay within those constraints meant that at the end of that, I'd go take a break. And whether I was done or not, I made progress at a much faster rate because I was taking those breaks, because I was intentional intentional about the work that I was doing, and because I made time to get outside and reflect. And so all of a sudden, yeah, work is still stressful. There's a ton going on. Anybody that runs events knows that event season is super busy, but there are ways that you can challenge the traditional working model, or at least the one that I had started to work in to create a better system for you. And then to help your team do the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love that you're speaking about this because I think I know a lot of people get uncomfortable when I say you're actually only really productive from two to four hours a day. Yeah. And so, you know, real head down focus work is mm-hmm the, that amount of time, right? So having more hours in your day, isn't actually beneficial to you. If you're not utilizing your day well to, you know, do these well-being habits that are going to help you in those, that time that you have. So you'll notice that as you start to create these boundaries and you start to make your well-being a priority and taking those midday walks and, you know, getting those eight hours of sleep, that you're so much more focused that when you do sit down, you get just as much done in a smaller amount of time than it would have uh, taken you when you had more time, quote unquote, throughout the day, when you're less focused and it just takes you that much longer, you know, as long to do the same project. Exactly. So this is why like you start to see people who 
you are wondering like, how do they, how do they do it all? How do they get that all done? Well, if you have less time, right, you're sometimes able to just more focus and get those things done in, in the time that you actually do have, like the Pomodoro method that you, you mm-hmm. mentioned about. Um, so like me personally, you know, before I had my daughter as growing my business and spending a lot of time, way too much time growing, running yep. the business, right? 12 hour days was nothing. And I completely burnt out. And I was terrified that when I finally had children, that that would mean I'd have to put a stop on, on my career, on my business. And mm-hmm. actually the opposite happened. It has helped it grow way more. And I think it's because I have been able to be so much more strategic and focused on the things that I am working on with the time that I have. And so yep. my husband and I, we, we, uh, both have our businesses, right. We both work at home and our daughter stays at home with us. And so we just trade off. He works in the mornings and I, I have, I have our daughter and then, um, I get the afternoons and he has her. And mm-hmm. so, um, it seems, it kind of seems like, oh, you're working like part-time with these businesses, but really I'm actually, if I have a full day, you know, those full eight hours, um, I'd probably get, I know that I get just as much done than if I'm working and just the afternoon with the full day. Does that make sense? Yep. I think it also comes down to when you have less to do, you less hours to do things in. And this is, I would think the same if you own your own business, but I started to look at, okay, what is everything that we say we need to get done? What is actually contributing to our goals? And what is just fluff that we should either, well, you could delegate to somebody else. Sure. We've done a lot of that or also just get rid of. Like what is not actually serving us? And there's a lot of things that carry over that are legacy. Mm -hmm. We do X because we've always done it that way. And it's like, okay, great. But does it, it served us then. It made sense then. And you can honor that, but does it serve us now? So Mm -hmm. delegating things, getting rid of things. I'm a huge fan of, uh, well, at least once I get stressed, doing an urgent, important matrix. Mm -hmm. And so you lay out, okay, where does everything fit in this chart, whether you're doing it just for you or for a whole team? And then you build plans that way. And so being more strategic, as you mentioned, is going to get you so much further than I'm going to sit in front of my computer until this project is done, Mm -hmm. which is not fun. Mm -hmm. And you're actually just wasting time and energy um, and draining yourself and setting yourself up for burnout, right? Mm -hmm. We have both (laughs) experienced. Yes. And Um, probably many of your listeners have too. Absolutely. They are. I, I know they have. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there, a lot of them are coming on to either prevent it from happening again or, you know, recovering from it. And so mm-hmm. this is actually a good segue into, uh, another topic that we wanted to really touch on, which is when you do have time off, right. Such as a holiday season or a vacation, how can you ensure that you actually take that time off so that mm-hmm. when you come back, you're not, feeling like you need a, another vacation from it because you're now so swamped with everything else you had to do. And you're telling yourself you could have worked, you know, throughout, throughout that time right. off that you had, what can we do about this? I feel like you're a pro. I don't know about it. Well, okay. Actually, this is one area where I feel like I excel pretty darn well and I don't toot my horn enough. So we're going to toot it here, but I take at least one, two week vacation, usually an international trip a year. And then normally there's some other smaller things sprinkled out. So this year we actually took our long overdue honeymoon. Thanks COVID. So three years late, we took a two week trip to Costa Rica and Mm -hmm. I spent 10 days in Hawaii. And then I've done some little things along the way. And throughout all of that, I'm unplugged. 
I don't check my email. I don't check in. I don't work. I do carry a little black notebook. It's around here somewhere with me where if a work thought pops into my head, the best way for me to get it out is to jot it down. So I'll do that. But that's kind of my background. I'm like, I do not work on vacation. And that is super important for me to recharge. But it's also important, again, back to this whole as a leader thing. If I don't do that, then it's a heck of a lot harder for me to say, hey, team, you should do this. But I don't. So I had a conversation with a colleague recently who historically used to work throughout her vacations. She doesn't work at Engage for Good. She works elsewhere, but she used to work throughout her whole enga- her whole vacation. And we had a conversation, I don't know, two months ago now. And she goes, I manage a team now, Allie. Like, I, I have to do what you do. Like, okay, we're going to talk through this. And she set a goal for herself. She's like, normally she'd check her email every day. That's not a vacation. And in my mind, people have different opinions. And so she set these intentions and she actually managed to do 90% of it. I think she checked in once or twice in the span of this three-week trip, which is huge progress. So that's kind of the the background here. Um, to start, I think there there's a lot of things that people don't do very well with vacation. So one of the funniest things I have ever seen is Visit Iceland, which is Iceland's kind of travel bureau, did a study where they found that about 65% of people will work daily while they're on vacation, which is huge. And so they made this whole kind of marketing campaign to incentivize people to come to Iceland and also to highlight these facts. And so they had Icelandic courses walking along a keyboard. And the message was essentially, put your vacation responder on and these horses will respond to messages while you're gone for you. So it was this little playful thing of doing it. And then Americans also use, out of all of the countries, use very few of our vacation days. That's like, I think it's 82% admit to doing some level of work on vacation. So I think the first thing is, can you do this? Do you want to do this? And if you think you can't and you have to be working, question some of those limiting beliefs. Why do you think you can't? If it's because there's no one else to do it, is that actually true? And if so, how can you start coaching your team so that they can come to these solutions and figure out how to do this in your absence? And if it's something more like, okay, maybe I'm not a leader or manager, I'm an employee, and I'm afraid that my managers are going to think poorly of me. One thing that I found fascinating is um, Sean Acker, Acker, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his last name, but he, who's an author and the U.S. Travel Association, did a study where they looked at okay, what actually happens? And it's called project time off. And it's actually those who take a vacation are more likely to get promoted, which is mind blowing. Mm. And then 94% of vacations result in higher levels of happiness and energy if there's a couple things that you do. So these are some things that I like to do on a regular basis. But if we're talking about kind of the specifics, if you want to dive in, your first thing is figure out a quote, good time to go. Some people are going to say, just go whenever. For me, that's going to be really tough during conference season. So I'm going to plan my vacations as best as possible outside of conference season. I'm also going to start early. So if I know, okay, I'm going to go on a vacation in six months or in three months, I'm going to start having these conversations both internally with myself of like, okay, how am I going to make this work? And also with the team. I think it's important to set expectations around your availability. So if I'm going to be completely off, which is what I do. And my team now knows that, but you've got to have those conversations up front. If you're a leader and you really want to have a fully unplugged vacation, but starting makes you really nervous and you're like, okay, I, I'm going to get there. But for this next trip, if you need me, call, like I won't check email, but you can call me. 
whatever those pieces are, but set some boundaries and some expectations around your availability. And then look ahead and say, what needs to get done? So we use Asana as our project management tool and I can see, okay, what do I have assigned to me or what are our strategic goals and plans in the date range that I'm gone? And when I look at that, then I can start divvying things up and making a plan. There are some things that I can do ahead of time. Awesome. There are some things that I can't do ahead of time. And at that point, it's how do I figure out how to get this done while I'm gone? Sometimes there's somebody else at your level that knows how to do it and they can get handed off to them. Package it up well, make sure it's ready to be handed off. Don't leave them a mess, but it can go to them. And other times, maybe there's an opportunity for somebody below you to come in and to take on a bigger role for something they haven't done before. So in those cases, I'm going to start parsing out what do I need to do ahead of time? What can somebody else at my level do? And what can somebody else below who has an opportunity to do a little bit more learn in that experience? And you want to start early because especially for this person that might be coming in and taking on more than they've done before, they need some time to figure that out. And so you're going to share kind of your training plan or your standard operating procedures. If it's something a little bit more like in speaker season for us or conference season working with speakers, they may have questions that we may not anticipate. So you do a pre-mortem of here's what we're thinking. Here's how I would typically respond. And then you have them join, in my case, maybe some calls. So they can see how do you answer questions live? What is your thought process? How do you go about this? And give them kind of the framework that you would use and the opportunity to test this and try it before you leave. And then once you're gone, that person should always have somebody they can go to with questions if they don't know. So plan early, make your list of what you're going to do, who else can help, make sure you're training and upskilling your team. And then I also like to block my calendar when I return. So if I'm coming back, I'm going to take maybe the first entire day and block it off so nobody can book it on Calendly. And that's just my, I'm coming back and figuring out where the heck I am, what's happened, because I've shut work out of my brain. So now I need to bring it back in and remember what's happening. And then I also will put in some key meetings with stakeholders. So whoever you had on your vacation plan, you know, 15 minute check-in, maybe it's with your manager to kind of touch base on what has changed while you're gone, but blocking your calendar. And my biggest thing that I think I started last year for the first time, and I don't know why I didn't do this earlier, is creating a remember list. And my remember list is literally a Google Doc. I call it the remember list. And it's a list of kind of project statuses before I left. The top three, five, whatever that number is, things that I have to do upon return, who I need to check in with about things that have moved forward, and anything else that I need to know. And that's one of the last things that I build right before that I leave. So it's completely up to date. And then when I come back, it's one of the first things that I look at. And it gives me in one concentrated place everything I need as opposed to I need to go look through 50 emails and I need to check my Asana and I need to look at my calendar. It's all in one document. And the amount of kind of stress and planning and time that that has saved me is incredible. So that's a big one. I also set an out of office that sets expectations because my team internally knows what my communication is going to be while I'm gone, which is nothing unless if there's a fire, yes, and I'm the only one that can solve it, call me and we'll figure that out. But otherwise, I'm off. So my email out of office has to say the same thing. And so I am a little bit uh, funny and I like to use that to encourage other people. So I put the Icelandic courses in one of my last out of office notes and I had two links to, hey, have you planned your next vacation? It was like, here's why it's good for you and good for business. 
Here's the CEO that actually paid his people to go take vacation because he knows it's good for the bottom line and for them. And then I was like, and also not everybody wants a vacation. So here's, I think it's 11 staycation ideas. <laughs> and I'm going to be gone until this date. I won't check my email. If you need somebody in there in the interim, who's here's who you can contact. So you've got these different pieces. And then once you're gone or beforehand, I don't have any notifications on my phone that come from work at all. So if you call me, it'll ring. I can check my email. I can check Asana. I can check my calendar, but nothing pings me. So I don't feel the need to delete my apps because I'm good at not actually checking them. But if you're not, then at least turn those notifications off, if not delete the apps entirely. So that's kind of my pre-leaving checklist. And then I have a whole bunch of thoughts for once you're there. But do you have any questions on that? Because that was a lot. (laughs) No, you have some really great practical things that you can do. Um, One thing that I would love to highlight is Mm -hmm. basically what you're doing when you have that conversation with your team ahead of time is you're teaching them how to treat you. Right. And this is a really, really important communication skill that people need to understand is that you uh, teach others how to treat you. Right. That's essentially like the boundary that Mm -hmm. you are, that you're creating. And so I think you do a really great job at doing that and setting that boundary um, and communicating it clearly ahead of time. But then how do you maintain that boundary when you are on the vacation, right? How are you able to truly like turn it off and shut it off? And maybe you're about to go into this for us, but I know that typically it takes people a couple of days um, to fully unwind and to fully shut it off um, and resist the urge to sneak and and check in and, um, you know, see what's going on behind the scenes? Yep. No, that's a great question. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. The first one is when we went on our honeymoon to Costa Rica, this was actually pretty easy. And I think part of that is because the beginning of the trip was a work conference for my husband that I also got to attend, which was super fun, fascinating. So I was learning all these things. I didn't really have time to think about work. On the flip side, We went to Ireland the year before for a wedding for some friends. And it was just in the beginning, it was just the two of us. It was relaxation. It was exploring. It was this, it was that. And disconnecting from work after a really busy season was tough. And so there's a couple things that I do. Those notifications are off is the first one. You can delete the apps if that helps. So you don't actually have access, which is really helpful. My second one I mentioned is that notebook. So that was the first trip that I took the notebook. It's like three inches by four inches. It's small. And it fit in my little fanny pack that I could have on the plane. And so anytime I had a work thought, and I actually had a ton of them. I had a whole campaign planning idea that came to me. And I was like, I don't want to lose these. But Mm. I also don't want them in my head. So writing them down for me was super helpful. Another thing that I like to do is set an intention before a trip, which to some people might feel a little woo-woo, but it is great. So is your intention to reconnect with yourself? Is it to explore new things or a new culture? Is it to relax and recharge? And whatever it is, whenever you have that kind of, that instinct to, I need to go check my email or I need to check Slack or whatever it is to come back to that intention. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's easy. You may have to do it a couple of times. You can even write in your little notebook like, oh, I want to check my thing. I want to check this. I want to check this. And then you can start to see how much that starts to pile up. And if you can start to shift that trigger from I need to check it and I'm going to go do it into I need to check it 
And actually, I'm going to use this time to be on vacation. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So those are a couple of different pieces. Um, I had another one and it disappeared. It might come back to me. Well, <laughs> I'm sure it will, but I'm, <laughs> I, I love your intention setting. Be, you're basically just repeating all of my keys in my, my framework because the sixth key is the key of intention. Okay. I love it. Yep. Love it. Just hit, keep hitting them organic. I will. I will. <laughs> we can do this, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to carry your energy through and help mm-hmm. you stay grounded in why you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. Remembering the intention that you're setting. And I love the examples that you gave, like what's my intention for this vacation or even um, the time off that you get organically, you know, through work, whether the holidays, right. what's my time, what's my intention for the holidays right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be as simple as I just want to be present with my family. I That's be literally what mine is. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> like I'm going to be off my phone, not even just work stuff. I, I, in the lead up to the holidays have spent far more time on my phone than I usually do. Usually it's like looking at gifts online and different pop-up shops or Amazon. I spent a lot of time on my phone. So my intention is to be in the present and off my phone. Yeah. That has nothing to do. Well, maybe a little bit to do with work, but it's more the like outside of work stuff that I need to, I want to push to the back burner as well. Yeah, exactly. And and to your point, what you just mentioned about remembering that when you mm-hmm. have the urge to yep. check something, it's like, wait, actually, what is my intention here? And then just setting the intention ahead of time before you're doing the thing is that seed that you planted within and you'll find yourself um being more drawn to doing it without as much energy or effort because it's it's almost like unfolding within you. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. you planted yep. that internally. And so remembering it, you know, is even more powerful, but knowing that taking that time to set it uh, ahead of your time off vacation, et cetera, is going to be really powerful for helping you to maintain those boundaries that you'd like to set and even have that deeper sense of fulfillment that when you come back, you have accomplished that uh, energy that you wanted to experience. Right. Right. There's one other thing that I want to add in here of when we talk about taking unplugged vacations, there can be this sense of I did it, I succeeded, or I checked in, I failed. If you get to a point, I mean, yes, my, my absolute best advice is take the unplugged vacation. But if you find yourself stressed, you're like, I just, I don't know how this client is doing. Like I need to check in and you do your little, what's my intention? This is this, this is this. And it keeps coming back. Don't ruin your vacation over it. Hmm. Like if you need to check in and that's far less checking in than you've done in the past, that's still a win. Like we can talk about incremental progress here. It doesn't have to be kind of cold turkey even if that's the ultimate goal. So it's it's that journey along the way. But there's a couple other things. I mean, as, as you were talking about, some people come back from vacation and feel like they need a vacation from their vacation. Is this an experience you've had? There are, there have been, there have been vacations like that for sure. Right. Where it's mm-hmm. like, sometimes um, when I'm on a sightseeing travel exploration vacation, yeah. you just want to see the things. Right. And, yeah. and I actually was over in, um, I, we did a trip to, uh, Germany and Norway in January Ooh. of 2020. Yeah, it was awesome. And we, uh, it, it was intention that I had set years ago to take my parents and my in-laws to Germany. Cause we're all, uh, have heritage from there. Yeah. And that's so, wonderful. Yeah. So my husband and I took them out and we had this 
awesome two week trip out there. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that it happened and worked and? out at that time because yeah. it was right mm-hmm. before, right before you know, pandemic. everything happened. Yeah. So I feel, I don't know if it would have happened, um, if we hadn't done it at that time, but an example of what I'm trying to say is, you know, we wanted to show them all the things and do all the things. And cause we'd already been out there before. And so when you get back, you just need to unwind from it. Yep. You know, so mm-hmm. I've noticed on, um, those adventure exploration trips that I do feel that a little bit more versus my, um, vacation, just chilling at home or, you know, yeah. a more relaxed intentional, uh, vacation. Absolutely. The one that immediately comes to mind for me is my best friend Kira and I took a trip to Europe. Uh, we were in London, Scotland, and Spain, and we plan, we're both planners. We are huge planners. This was before my husband and I took our year and a half long Asia trip. And I learned how to travel differently, which is how I travel now. But Kira and I are both planners. We planned a kid you not every day of those three weeks. We had entrance tickets to different places, to castles, to museums. We had the trains booked ahead of time. And in some ways that was great because it saved a lot of money and we knew what we were doing and we didn't have to stand in really long lines. We were exhausted at the end. I was like, oh, maybe there's a different way to do this. So Tita and I spent a year and a half in Asia and we visited 12 countries, which is obviously outside of work. I was not taking a year and a half off and then coming back after two weeks vacation. That doesn't work. But we traveled really slowly. And one of the things that I really learned throughout that experience is to plan, but not overbook yourself. So what we like to do wherever we go now, typically they're two week vacations from work or week vacation, whatever it is, is to do enough research about a place that you have some ideas of what you want to do. And maybe you block in some things that are really important to you, but you leave the rest open. And the reason that we love to do that is because sometimes you're tired. And you're like, oh, I'm on vacation. I want to take a nap or I don't feel like doing anything. I'm going to sit and read a book. Or what happens a lot is you end up meeting somebody that you want to do something with. Or one night when we were in Costa Rica, we were like, we're just going to walk around town. We don't know where we're going to end up. We're just going to walk around town. We ended up at this craft cocktail bar and had a two hour kind of think of a cooking class experience where typically you go in and you have a cooking class. In this case, this bartender is teaching us how he's made these two award-winning cocktails that won awards across Central America. We never would have found it had we planned everything. And so have enough to figure out where you want to go, what's important, and then leave enough to have some of those kind of spontaneous experiences. And another thing that we really like to do, I already mentioned cooking classes, is plan something that really sparks joy for you, that you really enjoy. So for us, that's a cooking class typically. And we We've taken them all over the world. One of my favorite is in Vietnam, where you have a flame as you're cooking that grows to about three feet, which is incredible. Cool. And But doing those things that bring you joy that are outside of your normal experience are huge. Another one is outdoor adventure. If there's a place to go canyoneering, or we trekked the Annapurna Circuit in Nepal, which is actually where he proposed, doing the things that bring you joy And then leaving some room to relax for spontaneity are going to help you slow down, live in the moment, kind of have agency over your trip, not feel like you're running around, leave work behind, and then come back more refreshed. Mm, Love it. Um, So what would you say, 
your best tips are for ending kind of like that overwhelming feeling. I know you mentioned like your, um, your Google doc. What did you call that list? That My great. reminders. Your reminder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that remember these things, remember your reminders. So is that what helps you to kind of end that overwhelming feeling of like, Oh, now I have to kind of get back into it. I think there's some level of that feeling will exist if you're the only one that's on a vacation. So if you, you probably heard a lot about this towards a couple months ago and during the pandemic organization, a lot of organizations did a kind of a global week off or a team week off. And it's a lot easier to fully unplug when everyone is off because you don't come back to a full inbox. So there, I think there's always going to be some level of that. But if you set expectations ahead of time of here's how I'm going to communicate, here's how I'm going to handle things when I get back, I've got my day blocked, I have my meeting with my key stakeholders, got my reminders list, those things help. And then I think it's also about being graceful with yourself. So when I come back, well, we already know we're not productive eight hours of the day. I'm probably mm-hmm. not going to work a full eight hours the first day back. I'm probably going to chunk off some email. I'm going to do email for an hour and a half. I'm going to do this for an hour and a half. I'm going to go take a break. I'm going to ease back in. And there's probably some people that would listen to this and be like, well, then you didn't come back and do all the work. And you're like, technically you're right. I didn't work an eight hour day, but by not working an eight hour day, I'm actually getting more done. And I'm setting myself up to ramp back for the rest of the week and the time going forward so much better. So mm-hmm. I pick those things off my reminder list. And I'm like, okay, today I have to do this and I have to do this. I'm going to see what I get through. I'm going to block my email time because email, at least for me, is a black hole. Like We're, we're not going to spend all day in there. And being kind of graceful with yourself of here's what I got done. And I like to make a wins list. So everybody has a to-do list, right? Not as many people have a wins list or a ta-da list. So mm-hmm. instead of just crossing things off on your to-do list, Sometimes, whether it's conference season or coming back for a trip or coming back from the holidays, make yourself a to-do list, which is the things that you did. You're not just crossing off. You're writing down, I did this, and here's your list of things. And having that sounds kind of silly. You're like, well, I already crossed it off. But the act of writing it helps you recognize that you've done something. And the, I don't remember what chemical, but the the dopamine hit, is that what it is? That you get from realizing, hey, I did this, can tr- completely transform how you look at your work and your day, which is going to help you be more motivated, which is going to help you get more done the next day. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's also what we do um, around the holidays is that first week back the first yeah. week in January, you know, that, that feeling, we all have the feeling it's like, Oh, I'm still in, in holiday mode, but we kind of got to mm-hmm. get back into it. So we always, I always treat it as slowing and easing into it, having a lot yes, of grace for exactly. yourself. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a light week. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making sure if you can not to schedule anything super big on that week or even the week after, so that you can give yourself the opportunity to gracefully ease yourself yep. back into it. Right. I think that's the absolute best way to do it. And there's also times where that's not going to work. Like I had a different trip that I came back from and I had a very big week upon my return. I was like, oof, this is, this is going to be a lot, but I had my reminders list. And what I did is I blocked out in my schedule. I blocked out of like, okay, here's my walk time. Here's my lunch time. here. I'm going to go meditate for 10 minutes. And knowing that I had a huge week and that I had to be on, it was like, I need to make sure that I eat well. I need to make sure that I'm getting my sleep. I have to have these breaks in the middle of the day. I'm going to use my timer. I'm going to focus on the most important. And the rest of it, I'm ignoring. It's not going to happen. I can come back to it next week and see if it fits. But right now, 
this is my focus. And so mm-hmm. even if you have a big week, your boundaries, even with yourself, it's like, I'm not going to scroll through social for my break, which I've definitely done before. I'm going to go meditate instead. What are the ways that I can help bring myself back and keep myself kind of happy, focused on my well-being and as productive as possible while still enjoying it? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yes. You you gave some really good examples of how you can squeeze in taking care of yourself uh, throughout the day. I think yeah. that's a really, it's, it's refreshing to hear someone who's in it, right? Who's a leader, you have a team, um, you're, you're doing good work and you have a lot of responsibility on your plate, but you're walking the talk on, Hey, I can, I can still crush it at work and crush taking care of myself. And actually the better I take care of myself, the better my work is. And you are living walking example of that. So I think your team is really lucky to have you, um, showing them the way by, by, by walking the talk. I think that we should just put that on a billboard. It's like by doing these things, you're actually going to be more successful. So not everybody agrees with it yet, but there's so much research out there that says it's true. We'll get there. We'll get there. And it's just taking, uh, honestly, most of this is unlearning. Yep. Um, the trauma that we are, our elders, you know, the previous generations have worked for 20, 30 years. Um, you know, we have to unlearn what that looks like. And, understand that there are better ways to do things. And just because we've been doing something some way, the same way for years and years, doesn't mean it's always going to have to be done that way. And in fact, it can be even better than before. It's just, it will, we'll get there. And I think more and more people are open to this idea. And when you're open to learning about it, then you're more, um, likely to start doing them and hearing what the real message is, because now you're a little bit more open than before, right. which I think is a gift from, from the, uh, the past few years that we've all experienced, you know? Mm-hmm. So this has been really great. You've given us so many really awesome tips. We will be putting in, um, a lot of the, uh, the studies and, um, even some resources that you had mentioned, like the Pomodoro app, those types of things. Mm-hmm in the description. So if you guys want to check that out, um, Allie gave us some really, really cool resources, but tell us more about where we can connect with you, where we can find you. Give us your, uh, give us your deets. Yeah. So I, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. It's actually Allison Murphy and my maiden name is Claypool Conrad, which is a, a mouthful, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I work for Engage for Good. So you'll find me pretty easily that way. Uh, as Alicia mentioned, I host the Engage for Good podcast, which is all about CSR and social impact and kind of corporate nonprofit partnerships. So if you're interested in that, check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and if you are interested in that, then obviously engageforgood.com. And we've got an annual conference every year in May where we bring together a bunch of purpose-focused people to figure out how to do more good in the world and yeah, elevate a bunch of things. Amazing. Where is the conference at each year? It changes each year. So this year we're going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, We've been in Chicago and New Orleans before the pandemic. We were in Austin, Texas, which was really fun. So mm-hmm. we shift around and it's been it's been really challenging after COVID because so many things got shifted mm-hmm. to find space that works on your dates for your capacity size in the floor arrangement that you need. But we are very fortunate to have found that. And yeah, I will be in Atlanta in May. Amazing. Is that when it is each year, May? Yeah, this year we're this year being 2023. I keep writing 2023 because all of my planning, all of my goals, all of our sponsors, everything is 2023. So in my notebook, I keep writing that. But yeah, we'll be May 16th through 18th. 
amazing. Well, we will have all of the links uh, for you guys to check out over there and definitely be sure to follow her over on LinkedIn. You guys know we talk about LinkedIn literally every single episode um, <laughs> or, <laughs> because every every guest I meet, we meet over on LinkedIn. It's just I was going to say, that's a, how we met. Yeah, exactly. It's such a uh, cool networking um, platform that I think is highly underrated. So go mm -hmm. check us out over there. And thank you so much for being here today. This was really great. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and being a really good um, example in the workforce that uh, a lot of people can look up and to and learn from. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And if any of your listeners have questions, feel free to reach out. Amazing. Thanks everyone. See you next time.